and my check marks my check marks are there and usually just takes a second or two people are already leaving comments we've got uh kevin is saying good afternoon from lakeland florida good to see you kevin happy memorial day down there you guys are all on holiday today and we've got mustek is saying hi there hey how you doing all right i see people rolling in evelyn i'm gonna i'm gonna play the intro reel and then we're gonna get underway sounds great I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium sized businesses while controlling risk. So, if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So, be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. All right. Welcome, everyone. Uh, I'm really happy to have Evelyn Acca with me today. Hi, Evelyn. How are you? Hi, David. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And uh, we've got you live from your headquarters in Calgary. And we were just chatting before we started here that, that you're getting a lot of smoke from those wildfires going on right now. Is it is it really making an impact in the city? It has been like last week, kids could not play outside. My kids could not play outside. It was bad, but it's much better. It's clearing up and the firefighters here in Alberta are doing incredible work. Um, it's, it's just a sign of the times now that we have to deal with this from BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan every summer. Wow. What? Well, we're we're here today to talk about what it's like or what the process is for people to move from other countries into Canada as entrepreneur or or investor immigrants. Yeah. And so I wanted to have you on because this is your background. You want to take a few minutes and just tell us a little bit about uh, how you got into this field and, and maybe what what. Uh, what drove you or motivated you to, to get into this part of the law? Oh, I'd love to. Thanks so much for the opportunity again to be on your podcast. Um, so I've been practicing law for almost 24 years, and I started my career in Toronto. I'm originally from Vancouver, and after law school at UBC, moved to Toronto and was a corporate lawyer, actually. Um, and I wasn't happy. I wasn't enjoying it in my first couple of years. And so I ended up working at a large um, global accounting firm that was launching a legal department. And at the end of all of that, they decided to focus on corporate immigration and keep us. And so I learned corporate immigration formerly as a corporate lawyer. And I just found that the personal side plus the business side really worked well with my personality and what I like to do. And I've been doing it ever since. Now on my own with ACA Business Immigration Law. Awesome. And, and so, so let's talk about this because I, I've often had some people ask me questions about moving to Canada and I'm not an expert, but what I do know is that, you know, it can be very different from what people might expect because of course, in addition to the federal government rules, we have different provinces and sometimes the provinces can have their own thing going on. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering, could, could you describe to us in general what this looks like and and then we can maybe talk about some of the programs and what things people need in order to qualify to be able to do this absolutely so 
Um, so the nature of our practice is corporate and personal. And I find that sometimes what's great is a lot of our clients are business owners, whether they're from India or Hong Kong or Dubai, um, they own businesses. And that's one stream to get to Canada is basically setting up a Canadian entity, which we also do. We incorporate a related business, for instance, and they can transfer as executives to start working in their own business. This way, they don't have to bring all the financial paperwork. They don't have to show that they're investing $300,000 million. You know, it's a little bit of an easier easing into the Canadian economy that way. But every province in Canada has a different provincial nominee program for both individuals, professionals, and businesses, and investors, and entrepreneurs. And so, plus, the federal one is really not working as well. They've kind of neutralized it to the point where almost nobody uses it. Um, and then, of course, there's a startup visa program. So there's many different layers of the immigration based on people's backgrounds, experience, what they want to buy and invest in in Canada. So it's pretty interesting. And so from the sounds of it, it, it may not be just as simple as going to a government website and seeing a list of criteria and saying, oh, I qualify. Because you, for example, might help some, someone may want to move to Canada and maybe they want to go live in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. and, and you might say to them, look, you actually might have an easier chance if you immigrate to Manitoba and then maybe a few years later look at moving or, or something yeah. like that. Exactly. I mean, the whole intention of these programs is to stay in the province. So that's something that I, I know people have move and do other things. My view is you really want to know where you want to be, but nobody can tell you you can't move across the country once you're a permanent resident. But it's the idea that there are other provinces, that the Atlantic provinces, for instance, they've got great programs. They've been using it to attract and keep people. That's the plan so that they can develop their economy and businesses. So not everybody's leaving those provinces. Um, and everybody seems to want to live in Vancouver, but when they start looking at the cost of living and the price of property, et cetera, they kind of get a different view and think maybe Calgary or Edmonton, you know, might be uh, where they actually want to land. So it's not a simple process. And, you know, whatever you do, I always recommend work with a lawyer, make sure they have the right credentials, because getting a refusal is so much harder to fix for the next person that you go to if you do it yourself. So I always feel like give yourself the best shot and do it right the first time and use the legal professional. Okay. And so you mentioned that that many of the people that you work with already own a business in another country. So can you kind of take us through a scenario? Uh, you know, if, if I mm -hmm. owned a business in India, for example, and I wanted to, to use that as a tool to help me go and live in Canada, yeah. what would I be looking at doing? Yeah. And so when someone calls, we have, I just, I'll think of a client right now off the top. He's an Indian business. They have something like a $5 million business, like Canadian, I think it's US or Canadian, I can't remember, but huge, quite a large size for India. Um, and they actually also have a US entity. And for whatever reason, he also wants to be in Canada. And so what we normally do is once we, um, we kind of credentialize them and make sure that their paperwork lines up, they have the right financials, um, they, you know, they're not just making $100,000 a year. So there has to be a criteria where we think the government's going to be interested in them. We then do an incorporation for them at ACOLA based on where they want to be operating. And in the past, you could only um, incorporate without a Canadian director in BC. It was one of the few provinces, BC, and I think it was, is it Nova Scotia? And now all the provinces 
basically allow for non-Canadian and non-permanent resident directors. So wherever you wanted to be, we would incorporate. And then we would do what's called an intercompany executive transfer. So they're coming in as workers in their new business that's related to their business back home. So there has to be this intercompany component where you want to continue. So, so they're actually business. moving as an employee, not they're as moving as an employee slash owner. Yeah, they okay. are. And it's been great because you're you're not in a specific program. We do intercompany transfers every day for specialized knowledge workers, managerial and executive. And what's great is they can come and start without the same level of scrutiny or the same kind of criteria to prove how much they're investing and they can slowly build their business and be self-employed. And then after 12 months or more, they're able to apply for permanent residence. And so they have to be on the payroll. They have to be running the business, you know, like they have to be legitimately engaging in business activity, but many of our clients have obtained permanent residence that way. So let's talk about permanent residence, because as I understand, there's certain hurdles on the pathway from moving here to actually, you know, getting a Canadian passport. And if you want to talk a little bit about sort of those different periods mm -hmm. and your, and your status as you kind of evolve through that network, that, uh, sure. that yeah. When most people come to Canada, if they're not coming as permanent residents under like the express entry stream or some other, uh, you know, investor stream, they are coming as workers for the most part. It could be students, and doing postgraduate work and then they work for 12 months and then they can apply for permanent residence in the provinces as well as for, uh, federally. So as I said, most of my clients, they come, they get work permits for a year to three years. They're renewable if it's under intercompany or under NAFTA, it's renewable. And then usually after 12 months or more of working, they can apply for permanent residence through the provincial programs as well as the Express Entry Canadian Experience class, which is the one that allows you to qualify for federal permanent residence because you've worked in Canada for 12 months and you have the right points. That's the key is age, education, Canadian work experience. Those all give you points, uh, language ability, and then you usually will take maybe a year and a half of processing. So probably by year three is finished, you should be a permanent resident. Okay. And so then once you're a permanent resident, you, you basically have a lot of the rights and responsibilities that a citizen has without yet becoming a full citizen. Yeah. You have all the rights and responsibilities, but you can't vote. So for instance, right now in Alberta, we have an election today and Canadian citizens are the only ones that can vote, not permanent residents. And so if you're a permanent resident and you're physically staying in Canada for three years out of four, you can become a citizen after that. So that's like another three years. So maybe in year six, for some people, they're going to be eligible to apply for Canadian citizenship. Okay, that's great. And now you, you just mentioned things that give you points. Mm -hmm. um, why don't we talk about the point system? Um, because I, I, you know, in a, in a many other countries do many other things. Some countries hold lotteries, you know, for people to get visas. Other countries, you know, have certain criteria that vary depending on where you're coming from in the world. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell me, me a little bit about the point system and how this works? Yeah, absolutely. It's probably now been about seven years. The government revived and changed the entire federal skilled worker program. And they created this point system, which is very similar to Australia has a point system, um, some other countries where they're looking at the ideal immigrants that they want to come to Canada. So if you're young, 
and you know, young by meaning much younger than you and I, like 30, and you have a master's degree and you speak English beautifully, and maybe you speak French and you have a couple years work experience, you probably have enough points to come to Canada. So what they've done is they've geared express entry from outside Canada, the federal skilled worker program. That's the only one you can do under express entry from outside Canada. That and the federal skilled trades, but that one is very hardly used as much, you know, but we also want to recognize the importance of trades in Canada, not just highly educated, you know, university people. So the way it works is if you're young and you're educated and you speak English or French and you have work experience, um, you get points. And the more points you have, the higher you are in the rating scale so that when the government every two or three weeks will say, this is the cutoff. So to this, you know, this week, the cutoff is 500 points out of a possible, I think it's 1,200 points. Very few people get that high, but 500 is achievable if you got education. That means then you get an invitation to apply for permanent residence. And then you have 60 days to get everything in, your um, police certificates, your medicals, everything to finish your upload. And it's all done online. Your upload to the government portal and then they start the processing of your permanent residence. And that will take probably about a year to finish for most people. So that is the, the point system based on a federal skilled worker category. Those people though, David, that are in Canada who work for 12 months, they get more points as well. And so after 12 months of working in Canada or going to school in Canada, they get more points. So for, for people who may not meet the criteria, like I always think, if you're in your 40s or 50s, you're not going to get into Canada under that federal skilled worker, even if you have a PhD. Remember, I had the PhD guy from Nigeria. He was 40, spoke beautiful English, everything, lots of work experience. He was not able to get through the threshold. So I said, you know what, school or work for 12 months and you're on your way. And so that's what a lot of people are doing if they're a little older. And the, I guess the rationale for that is the government wants younger people because we need we're an aging population yeah. we need people to help really um supplement our cpp and our pension infrastructure that's literally why they're focusing on younger people i've, I've actually met in the last couple of years many people who have and, and i'm in the maritimes i'm in atlanta canada so i've met many people who uh, have come here basically for their post-secondary studies and it's not just because they want to study in Canada because maybe that degree will 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 hold some value for them back home. They're choosing to do it because I think we're one of the few countries where coming here as a student really opens this huge door for an opportunity to then flip that time and experience into the the process of becoming Canadian. Absolutely. And honestly, I there's some times when people have no other options and they want to be in Canada and we have to be legitimate and accurate and not misrepresent. And so I brought in a guy who was in the UK as a student and he was in his 60s. There's no age limit on going to school in Canada if you get accepted to a program. And it obviously has to make sense with maybe your professional background. You know, um, if you've been an engineer and now you want to go to cooking school, uh, you know, you have to justify why. We have to explain where this transition is coming from. But you should be allowed in. And once you're here as a student and you graduate, this is critical. You have to graduate. Then every province and the federal government, they have ways to keep you because they already know you're adapted. You speak the language, yeah. you go to school, you're educated here, you're working paying taxes why would they want to send you back so the government's really focusing on keeping postgraduates 
in Canada as another way to supplement our aging population and the need for skilled right. workers, right? So so we, we've talked a little bit about if you own a business and you set up a Canadian branch, how you can kind of get yourself in through this this transferring executive channel. Mm -hmm. we, we, we talked a little bit about skilled workers. Let's now talk about, you know, sort of other kinds of entrepreneur investors. Let's say you just sold the family farm in Holland and now you've got a big bank account. You've got a, a million dollars or so. And now mm -hmm. you want to come to Canada and you want to buy or set up a business over here. What does that pathway look like? Yeah. So that one would be on the entrepreneur um, slash investor category. And as I said earlier, there used to be a really great program that was a national program. It's not, it's been kind of neutralized, I think, and maybe almost not really workable because the government was finding people weren't actually doing all the things that they said they were going to do. So what I focus on now is mostly looking at the provincial entrepreneur program. So British Columbia has a great program where you can buy or invest in a business um, at the $300,000 mark if it's outside of the greater Vancouver Regional District. So that's like out in the smaller towns, Kelowna, that kind of thing, Kamloops. Um, the investment has to be up to a million dollars if you want to be in the greater Vancouver region. So you can, okay. they can choose to buy a business. They can choose to start a business. They can partner with an existing business. Um, and then they have to get the approval through the BC government. And they even have to come out and look at the business. And there's a whole, there's a whole chain of process. The manual for these, the BC program is really big because there's so many steps. But if somebody really wants to do it, it's very much doable if they can show they have the money and they have to show where the money came from. And they have to show that they've got experience of some level running a business, ideally. So that one is the BC one. And every province has some variation in Alberta. They're focusing on farms more than more than businesses right now, unless it's in the startup high tech kind of industry. And I know Atlantic province, they have great programs there that have changed over the years where they're trying to attract people to start and create businesses so they can stay and help the economy. So I think every province is so different that you literally have to check out the provincial nominee program for that province and look at all the criteria. The ones I know because I do mostly because I'm in the west um, in the west of Canada is the BC and Alberta and Saskatchewan. Ontario yeah. has one too, but you know, so it's very much if you have money and you have business experience, you may qualify for that and that might be the way you want to come to Canada. If you want to run a business, not everybody wants to come and run a business in Canada. They just want permanent residence. And so you need to really dig deeper sometimes into what is the intention? What do they want to do? Because if they don't really want to run a business, it's not going to it's not going to work out well for them. I know that uh, here in my experience in New Brunswick, uh, back when I had my business brokerage office, this would have been 2008 to 2011 period. Uh, there was a provincial nominee program running at the time where mm -hmm. people could come to New Brunswick and they had to put a certain amount of funds into an escrow account that was yes. held by the crown. And and they had then a 24-month period to either start or acquire a business that met certain criteria. Mm -hmm. And they could pledge funds that were in that escrow. They would, they would be released for the transaction. But the government just wanted to, to hold those commitment dollars to make sure that people actually carried through on, mm -hmm. on what they were supposed to be doing under the program. I, I believe the program's changed. And to your point, these things come in cycles and they, yeah. they have certain periods of time and then they wind up or they change and... 
And so if somebody comes into the country, though, under one of these programs, mm -hmm. typically they get grandfathered if there's a change after they arrive, correct? That's correct. You know, if the, if the program has changed, they still have to qualify. But usually if they were entered into the country based on that program, they'll keep them finishing that program. You know, and that's the thing is the same thing with the escrow, the funds, the government really wants to know where your money's coming from, you know, because they want to feel confident that it's not coming from proceeds of crime or whatever. And they need to know how you've earned it. And so that's what I mean by there's more scrutiny if you're coming under the investor entrepreneur, but it's the government's way of making sure they're letting in somebody that's legitimately going to run a business. And then of course, after you meet all the criteria, they give you your money back. Um, that's how it should work if you're doing all the right things. Is, is there any advantage or disadvantage from having, uh, from coming from certain countries over others? I would say the only advantage is if you're coming from a country that doesn't require visa, it's a little bit faster because you're not processing through the consulate. So for instance, Australian citizens, New Zealand citizens, for instance, UK citizens, they're visa exempt. So that means they can get on a plane and come to Canada and they can get here and go look at businesses even before they start their investor process and meet people and look at, you know, where they might want to live without needing to go through the consulate. It's a little harder for people who need visas like Indian citizens and Nigerians, um, other countries, Chinese citizens, because they have to do that first step as coming as a business visitor, let's say, or a tourist be, and get the visa before they can get on the plane and come and do some of their initial scoping. Okay. Can, um, can you give us an example of, of, of some of the problems that, that you've seen people run into, things that they've gotten wrong that have caused them grief in the process? Well, a lot of times people call and they want, they said, we have money, we want to invest. And I said, what do you want to do? And they said, we just want to buy a house in Vancouver. You can't do that. That does not qualify you for immigration status. And so the lists are very specific in BC, especially, um, but every province which says this is not considered, this is an ineligible investment or right. occupation. So I think that if people don't read and they might end up with somebody that's unscrupulous helping them or an agent of some sort, they'll find out the hard way that they've bought a property, but they still don't have permanent residence. And that's, you know, that's not necessarily what the plan was. What I see a lot of times is people that may not have professional business experience. Maybe you're a farmer and now you want to run a restaurant. And it's just, I always have to say it has to make sense. You know, it has to make sense for immigration to make that leap from you farmed in the small town in India or Pakistan, let's say, and now you're going to run an IHOP, right? And it's like, and you've never been to North America, you know? So it's like, you need to show them that you have the experience needed to be successful. Those people that do these programs, they don't have professional managerial experience of running a business, entrepreneurship, they don't usually do well. And they won't be approved usually if the government doesn't feel confident in their skills. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, over the course of time, I've, I've met quite a few people online who are, who are contacting from other countries and they're, mm -hmm. they're like, they're asking questions or they're talking about business opportunities that they've found online. And, you know, maybe it's, you know, you know, I don't know, a, a small rural community somewhere that, that could literally be a hundred kilometer drive through the woods to the next town. Mm -hmm. And, and they're asking questions and things and, and, and I'll, I'll pose questions to them. Like, like, do you really know where this is on the map? Do you, do you understand no what idea. it's going to be like to live there? 
And, and so I always encourage people, you know, do not get involved in any kind of proceedings to get into business or buy a business online without having come to Canada. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I get emails a lot from people who watch my YouTube channel and things, and they'll say, they'll send me a message saying, hey, David, I'm coming to Canada. It would be great to meet you. And I'll say, well, where are you going? <laughs> and say, well, I'm going I'm going to Toronto. And I'll say, well, that's that's an 18 hour drive from where I live. <laughs> and and for most people can't drive 18 hours in their country and, yeah. and stay in their country, right? They don't realize how big Canada is. Like they really don't. So I think those that are serious have come to Canada before or will definitely have to do this trip. You know, those those people, I think they know they have visitor visas. They've been they've been to the US, they've been to Canada and the UK and they they know why they want to be in Canada. You know, it has to make sense. If they have a business and they want to expand, that makes sense. Um, if they want to invest in a family business with their money as a way to come to per- to to get permanent residence, that makes sense. It has to fit that. Otherwise, I you know we don't do we don't do files for everybody that comes in the door. I'm sure just like you, you want successful applications and um, processes to work for your people. And if they don't meet all the criteria, like check, 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 verified then I say, I don't think it's, you know, let's look at another option because that might not be the right fit for you. And especially speaking English, they have to speak English well um, as well, because those are going to be criteria for permanent residence as well down the line. Yeah, no, no great points. Um, And, and of course, if you are somewhere in the world and and you are, you know, you speak French, there's parts of Canada where you can move to as well and, and pretty much get along in French too. Absolutely. Um, What would you say that, the immigration process for coming to Canada, would you say that it is sort of a a hurdle or obstacle, or would you say that this is a process designed to to funnel certain people through quickly? Because you know, when I, when I talk with people in other countries, like particularly Americans, yeah. uh, we'll talk about immigration, and really, Canada is a pro-immigration place. I mean, we we want more people. We do. I definitely agree. I think we are pro-immigration, um, but it's also about moving through the process and not skipping lines. Like, you know, I don't do any refugee or asylum type work or um, appeal work with respect to people trying to claim refugee status. I only deal with um, educated professionals um, and business owners. And so I think that for the most part, Canada is very facilitative compared to the process of the States. Like some of the work we do is for, it's called nearshoring where some of our Silicon Valley and other U.S. businesses, they have employees that they want to keep that because of their U.S. limitations on visas and the long, long, long delays to get permanent residence for certain countries to get green card, something like 15 years for Indian citizens or something crazy. Whereas literally you can come to Canada, work for 12 months as a software engineer. And within two years of that, you become a permanent resident. So we are faster. We want to make it easier. You still need professionals because there's so many bumps along the way where people make mistakes. But if you do it right, there's no reason why after three years of being in Canada, you are not a green card holder or the equivalent, a permanent resident. In the States, you could be there for 10, 15 years and still not gain your status. So I don't think that there's open to immigrants as they say they are because they make the process incredibly challenging based on citizenship, where you're from. Yeah. So so are you saying there's American companies that are setting up offices in Canada just so they can bring people 
absolutely on, onto the continent oh yeah we've been doing it for probably five years um because they want to keep them here so it's even easier if they wanted to transfer them let's say if they're working in india for them or china and they wanted to bring them but they can't get them a u.s visa or they've maxed out of their h1b visa which is the skilled worker visa if they cap out and they can't get any more and they don't have green card status they will transfer them just like how we do, we transfer them to Canada. They usually work for their related Canadian entity on Canadian payroll, and they get to stay in the same time zone in Vancouver or, you know, in Alberta or Toronto. Yeah. And then I suppose if they're, if they're here long enough and become Canadian, that just completely changes the, the script on them moving back to the States. Absolutely. If you're a Canadian yeah. citizen, you get the benefit of NAFTA. So let's say, you know, even a lot of times they just want to wait, maybe spend a couple of years to five years waiting here, hoping that their numbers will come up for their um, permanent residence in the States. But at the end of the day, they could be a citizen and still be waiting. And then they get the benefit of going down under NAFTA, which gives them way more options for literally port of entry work permits. So yeah, a lot of businesses have been doing it, um, this nearshoring concept because of the limitations, especially when Trump was in power, he made even more changes to the H-1B visa category. They have a cap. Oh. Yeah, and 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 part of the work that you do as an immigration lawyer is helping Canadians who have uh, work issues with in the U.S. that yes. that want to go over there. Why don't we talk a little bit about about NAFTA because it sure. creates special provisions for people within North America, certain people within North mm -hmm. America, to be able to move more freely and work in the in the three countries. Can can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? I love it. I mean, I do the cross border work is just because when I worked with an, a global accounting firm, we were doing it for the clients uh, and for our employees. And so under NAFTA or the new NAFTA, it's called the USMCA, the US Mexico Canadian Agreement. Um, now I just still call it NAFTA after all these years. And basically it allows for Canadian citizens. So you have to have a Canadian passport not a permanent resident, to be able to apply for both a TN visa, Treaty NAFTA visa, or an L1 visa. The L1 is the intercompany transfer. It's a great category. And so, for instance, if you're on the list of professions, engineers, professor, doctor, veterinarian, you know, all of these lawyer, you, nurse, you can qualify if you have a job offer in the States and get your work permit at pre-clearance on the Canadian side of the border as you're flying to the US or at the border as you're entering the US, you get your, your work permit. So I have a family, uh, I have a friend from law school. She's been with my one of my closest friends living in the US as a lawyer for like 25 years since we finished law school because she can't get green card because she works for an organization that cannot sponsor her. It's a government entity but she can live there as a lawyer and work there. And she has for, and every three years, we just renew her TN visa. So a TN visa is great for that. The other one is the L1A, which is the managerial executive transfer, equivalent to the one I talked about for people coming from other countries into Canada. We have one into the US, L1A or L1B. B is the specialized knowledge, A is the manager executive. And that one you can get at the airport as well for three years uh, initially to work and live and bring your wife and kids and be in the US or bring your husband and be in the US. So these are great benefits that Canadians have that might take an hour or two at the port of entry. Um, but if you have all your material done right by a lawyer that knows what they're doing, you can start a life and expand your business 
as well as give yourself U.S. experience. Um, and from there, likelihood you can move to green card much faster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and and so just, you know, for somebody who's thinking about this journey, can you give us an idea, you know, for for immigrating to Canada as a as an investor? What what does it end up being as far as an investment in legal fees and stuff? What what can people expect? It really depends. I mean, that's the thing, David. It's like, you know, the startup visa, we haven't even talked about. The startup visa program is like this huge program that if you get sponsored by an incubator or other organizations that are designated, um, you could move to Canada and they will help you start up a visa, a sort of a um, uh, business that has innovation and technology behind it and everything else. And those can be anywhere from like $100,000 to $200,000. Almost all of it goes to the, the, the companies that are bringing you that help you get everything set up. The legal fees are, you know, maybe eight to $10,000. It depends how many people are in the family, you know, but that that's the minimum part of the whole process. So when we do startup visas, we work with those partners and they do all of that. And we just do the immigration part of it. If you're coming in as an entrepreneur and investor, it really depends on the program, how much it could be. It could be anywhere from, as I said, 10,000 to $30,000 legal fees. It just depends how much you need and which program you're coming in under. So it makes it hard to kind of give a, a blanket, but that's kind of the range mm -hmm. I would say. Um, and we also work with other businesses where they help do business plans, even for intercompany transfers. If you don't have that ability to write a really good business plan about why you want to come to Canada, we have partners that we can refer people to to say work with them and get a strong business plan. So that would help supplement your intercompany transfer application. So that might add another four or five thousand dollars to the um, to the cost of coming as a as a transferee. Um, and the U.S. applications are in that same range, too. We do the E-1s and the V two and the E-2s. Those are the Entrepreneur Investor Treaty. But those are based on citizenship. And so that's why we do the Canadians going to the U.S. Um, and we have the ability to work with our colleagues in the states that are of counsel lawyers that can do into the U.S. from every other country. I am not a U.S. licensed lawyer. I'm Canadian licensed. I don't have the time with twins to do that. I, I literally just have to write one exam and one day I might do it. But I use our colleagues on the U.S. side for people from, say, Britain who want to move to the U.S. under L1s or E1s or E2s. So it's it's a lot to learn. Just like you, you have to specialize in something. So that's what I specialize in. Well, you know, th this has been great. So, I, you know, really, as, as we said before, it, it's hard to just say, here's the criteria you need to meet if you want to do this. It, it, yeah. it is more complex. There's a whole bunch of different programs. Uh, you mentioned how things can be different by region. I know here in Atlanta, Canada, where I live, they introduced something a few years ago, the Atlantic Immigration Pilot Project, mm -hmm. where they allowed companies to sponsor certain types of workers. And, and I know, um, you know, some... We're, you mentioned skilled trades, but mm -hmm. I, I know of, of like uh, restaurants, certain yep. style of cuisine restaurants that have been using AIPP to bring people from that uh, country. So like yep. an Indian food restaurant using that program exactly. to bring a chef from India, right? Be, it, because the labor pool just isn't deep enough for them to find enough qualified people. Yeah. And so it's it's allowing a lot more different kinds of people who may not even have had you know, the opportunity before to get in mm -hmm. are able to, to come in. And, and these programs often like 
that one is was a pilot project yes. for a certain number of years. Sometimes they get extended. Sometimes they don't. They, sometimes they last for a little while. And it, so yeah. really, and if it's something has that same type of program too, where they're looking for specific occupations, right? And yeah. if you have that and you have a family member in the province, you have a heads up on coming to that province because they're trying to track. We're all competing. It's weird that Canada is federal. We should all be working together. But it seems like the provinces, by creating these provincial nominee programs, we're competing against each other to bring in the best people. You know, and we should just be like, come on down, let's get this big federal program and then people, let people go where they choose to go. But it doesn't always work that way. Yeah. And and, you know, so if you are you know, a skilled person or if you are uh, an entrepreneur in another country and you're looking at moving to Canada, take a look at these different programs and maybe give someone like Evelyn a call to to talk about where you might go, because mm -hmm. it could be easier to get in than you think. And it may require you to take a look at living somewhere other than Toronto or Vancouver. Yes, I definitely think so. I mean, we do consultations, obviously, um, they're paid to talk to the lawyers on our team. But it's important, I think, to get the right advice. So before you start launching in, you want to know you meet all the criteria first. And so we do that. We do yeah. that analysis. Usually people provide us with all their credentials, resumes, educational levels, so that we can count their points, how old they are, if they've ever been refused visas, if they've traveled at all outside of their home country, all of those factors impact the likelihood of success. So we ask all those questions and then we try to strategize on the fastest, most efficient way to get them their goal. And sometimes it might be investing in a business and some, you know, and I have to definitely talk to you after this, David, because we have people who reach out to say, I have all this money. I want to invest in a business and I, we don't, we don't do brokering you know, that level, we need to find people maybe to help them, like yourself, who might understand what they're looking for. But even I'll think about school. I'll think about, are you married to a Canadian overseas and you ready to come back home? Let's just do your sponsorship. So there's different options depending on the person. And until you do that consultation, you won't really know all the mm. various options that are available to them. Well, this has been this has been great, Evelyn. If anyone wants to reach out and uh, and learn more about you, or talk with you, or or follow some of the things, I know you you often appear on LinkedIn doing lives and things like this. Where is the best way for people to to reach you? Oh, they can search for at at, at ACA Law. Um, that's our handle on most of our social media on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. And the law firm is called ACA Business Immigration Law. Our phone number is four zero three. 452-9515. And we'd be happy to do a complimentary discovery call with our client engagement team to just find out if we can help you. And if we can't, in that initial non-lawyer call, um, then we will see if we can refer you out to somebody that can help you. Well, this has been awesome. I'm going to play the closing reel and that you hang on, Evelyn. Thank you. Appreciate it, David. Done. But uh, for everyone who joined us live, thank you very much. And, uh, and we'll see you all next time. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site at davidcbarnett.com. You'll find hundreds of articles and videos all for free. You'll find links to my books and online courses, and you can sign up for my email list and get emails covering topics that interest you and be notified of new videos. Special thanks go to today's video sponsor, Mark Willis of Lake Growth Financial. Mark helps people better manage their personal wealth and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. 
This is something I've done personally and I've gotten lots of positive feedback from people I've worked with over the years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find a playlist of all the interviews I've done with Mark and to learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up to arrange a conversation about what this solution might look like for you. This episode of Small Business and Deal Making is brought to you by smbpodcastnetwork.com. The network is a collection of podcasts and shows from around the internet, which focus on bringing you interviews with amazing guests who share actionable advice, ideas, and information for small and medium-sized business owners and entrepreneurs. Visit www.smbpodcastnetwork.com to find more great shows and easily subscribe to be notified of new episodes. It's a great way to discover quality content. And if you've discovered us today via the network, then I hope you're enjoying the show and will consider subscribing directly so you never miss any one of our great episodes.